that has been kind of bothering me for several years, right? Yeah. And I wanted to get your opinion on this. A lot of people consider this blasphemy, okay? Do you break the pasta before you boil spaghetti in hot water? <laughs> um, I, I have also heard that that's, that's a Italian blasphemy. I used to, and then I stopped. But nowadays, sometimes I do just because it makes it easier to, you know, cut it up further for the kids. So do you break it up in like thirds? Well, no, I just break it in half, but it just makes it that much easier because mm -hmm. I don't want them to. I mean, when I'm eating it, I don't want them to be super short, you know, so it's they're still kind of long, mm -hmm. but it, they're easier to cut up smaller. So I think that's the argument, right, is that it's easier to eat if it's longer, apparently, but I've never had an issue with this. So when I, I break it in half, I boil it because that way it all cooks evenly. I'm not like waiting for like the, the top half to sink the in top to sink down. Yeah. I've never twirl mine. Like twirl. I was just kind of shovel. Yeah, it. I twirl. I twirl. And it's it's you, fine. You're not like dad though, are you? Like he just he cuts out he cuts up little bites like he's taking a bite out of a steak. Yeah, I always thought that was weird. He he cuts it up like he's he's cutting up like a waffle or something. Yeah. Sometimes he used to even cut the whole plates worth of spaghetti into like bites. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like all this way and then horizontally and vertically. Okay, another one for you. Best and worst soft drinks. I would say best cactus cooler. Oh, shit. Okay. But up there also, for me personally, have you had, did you know that they came out with a Dr. Pepper cream soda combination? I've seen it. I haven't tried it because it looks way too sweet for me. And then they came, they even came out with a like a sugar free version, the zero version, and that's really good too. And I was really happy about that because I really like it. But then you know I have to cut back on my sugar, so I really like that. Huh. My choice is probably going to be pretty controversial, uh, for multiple reasons. But the soda that Brenda and I always rely on, we always fall back to. Is Diet Pepsi. I mean, I've been a, a big Pepsi fan growing up. I've tried Coke. I've tried RC. I've tried Shasta. All of them. Cola. Shasta. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. It's just like I, I prefer Pepsi. A lot of people say that Pepsi's sweeter and that's why they like Coke or whatever. What I don't like about Coke is that it, it kind of leaves your mouth with like this weird sticky film. Interesting. Yeah, that's super weird. So before we get into the main subject, I did want to give a quick shout out to Butterbeer since we were talking about soft drinks. Oh, yeah. For my baby shower with Julian, it was actually Harry Potter themed. And Andrew looked up. He spent a lot of time researching Butterbeer recipes and found a recipe that's supposed to be very close to the Universal, Universal version. Nice. And he went and found all the ingredients and made that stuff an alcoholic version and a non-alcoholic version for, for my baby shower. And it was awesome. Heck yeah. Every single time I go to Universal, we have to get butterbeer from Hogsmeade because it's the shit. You just have to try butterbeer. It's so refreshing, especially if you go in the spring, summertime. Oh, get that like frosted, frozen butterbeer. So fucking good. I was going to ask what kind's your favorite hot, cold, frosted. Do you have the souvenir cup? 
I don't because I don't collect that crap. <laughs> but um, I haven't tried the hot water. I've always been more of a, a cold drink guy. Even if it's cold outside, I only drink cold drinks. Yeah, I would say the hot one. The hot one is less unique because there's really? a lot of hot sweet drinks out there that taste like that. You know, that have that kind of buttery. You know. It, it's buttery and like butterscotchy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, I, I kind of describe it as like a butterscotch soda, I guess. Yeah. It's good though. It's freaking good. It's re- refreshing because of like, it, it's a little bit more on the sweeter side and I don't have a big sweet tooth. I wouldn't be able to do that all the time, but because I don't go to universal all the time, I get it every single time I go. It's just so good. It's so good. You're ready. Get on that Hogwarts express. Let's go. How are you doing, everybody? Welcome to Affliction Oz Podcast, episode 32. With this being our December episode, that makes this our holiday episode. New episodes drop on the first Saturday of each month, 5 a.m. Pacific. We're available wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube, where you can find us at Affliction Autos. Please give us a like and subscribe. We also have merch. Find the link down in the description of our episodes. My name is Eric of House Hufflepuff, and the other voice occupying your head this time is a proud mother of three, lab geek, comic nerd, my sister, co-host, and Slytherin, Stephanie. Woo! That was a lot. <laughs> Here on Affliction Isles Podcast, we mainly talk about films that range from mind-numbing to mind-blowing. We also cover TV shows and other forms of media. Of course, we will be getting into spoilers here, and there will be only the healthiest amount of expletives tossed in you have been warned. If you ain't ready, then get ready, because in this episode, we will be discussing the imaginative, whimsical children's fantasy film, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's... Wait, wait, hold on. That doesn't sound right. This is America. Where am I doing? Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, released in 2001, directed by Chris Columbus. L-O-L. If you say Philosopher's Stone, you have to say it in an accent. (laughs) (laughs) In the UK, the movies still kept the name of the original title, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. In the US, however, not to make things more confusing or anything, the film was named after the US rename of the book, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Apparently, Scholastic Corporation bought the US rights and thought that the term philosopher sounded too archaic for young readers. The name that they tried to propose as a replacement was Harry Potter and the School of Magic, That was turned down. So the American edition was published in 1998 under the Rowling suggested title, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Rowling would later go on to say that she regretted the rename and would have stood her ground had she had a stronger position at that time. Yeah, it was the first book, so I guess she wouldn't have really had a lot to say, huh? Yeah, like I think it was popular, but she wasn't like making money hand over fist at that point yet. Yeah, not not like now. I personally think that sorcerer does sound more fantastical, but philosopher sounds more intriguing to me. We're about to go on some mm-hmm. sort of like relic hunt with Indiana Jones or something. That makes sense. To my knowledge, this is the only time there have been any title confusions with the books or the series or the movie series. I think from this point on, everything else lines up pretty one to one, right? Yeah, that's what mm-hmm. I thought. Fun fact for you, Steph. This is now the third Chris Columbus movie we've covered after Rent in episode five, Home Alone in episode 18, and now the first Harry Potter. That is so funny. My husband 
listens to other movie podcasts and there's this one that he really likes that will uh just do directors they'll just pick a director and then they'll do every movie that director has done but we're just we're doing the same thing just more spread out (laughs) exactly putting into context we have only covered one stanley kubrick film one quentin tarantino film and two christopher nolan films Mm. well chris columbus i guess you're the winner for now (laughs) There's even one more Chris Columbus movie that I wouldn't mind doing. Do you know which one? What, which one is that? Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, yeah. I would love to do that. So we still need to do uh, Home Alone 2. He also did that one, right? That's true. I think so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Dang, this is just slowly turning into the Chris Columbus podcast. Right. Next time it's going to be like, welcome to the Chris Columbus podcast. <laughs> As we all know, the film is based on the original 1997 novel written by J.K. Rowling. Like her hater, you know, she did a wondrous job of building out a fictional world rich in lore. Yeah, it's 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 been difficult the last several years because I, you know, personally do not agree with her stance on, you know, the controversial topics that she's been getting a lot of heat for. Right. And I have tried to do my part to, you know, not put more money in her pocket as much as i can but you know that being said i still she still built this world that you know we kind of grew up in and that was you know a source of comfort to me for a very long time i I still love it what can i say i still go back to it all the time and i still enjoy it so it's still one of my favorite parts of going to universal i always look forward to the harry potter portion of the park I don't know. It's just, I, I've always loved just that setting, you know, and like everything having to do with that world. Um, I haven't been into the books as much as you have. I know you've read all through all of them, right? And you've yes, seen all the movies. A few times. Yep. I get as a fan how fun it is to see, you know, everything they could cram in possibly. But just for for, for the sake of the story, I felt like they, they could have left other things out. Oh, okay. And trimmed it up even more, but... You know, the the changing staircases, which I I guess they do kind of have a purpose in this movie, but literally you never see them again in the movies until I think like the last one of the last movies or maybe not even ever again. But I guess the changing the changing staircases do have a role in this movie because they lead, you know, at some point (laughs) they change and then they get lost and then they get they find uh, Fluffy guarding the trap door. I often wonder, like, how annoying are those stairs? Like, if you're running late to class and you're like, fuck, I'm just barely going to make it. Nope. The stairs start shifting and you're like, god damn it. I know. I wonder if the teachers cut any slack for that, you know? Fuck it. When goddamn Liviosa and they just float across. (laughs) (laughs) Let us talk about a major element to the movie and the series. Let's talk about the music for a second. Because oh, that yes. is fucking amazing. John Williams sure was chosen is. again to compose the score for Chris Columbus. He's worked with Columbus in uh, some of the past movies like Home Alone 1 and 2, mm-hmm. Stepmom, and you know the Harry Potter movies. So we can thank John Williams for setting the precedents and creating all of those iconic themes that are used in some way in all of the movies. Yes. Yeah, the, the, the familiar music that everyone will recognize forever and ever that's something in the books that you just don't have. And that, that is the one advantage that movies can have over the books. Yeah, that is very true. 
And I wanted to take just a, a moment to appreciate some of that music. Let's start with the prologue. Iconic. Let's do, let's do another one. Let's do this one here. We also have platform nine and three quarters. So awesome. So yeah, I will reiterate, John Williams is a genius. Oh, that you can't not listen to that and not be taken into that world, you know? He just knocked out of the park with the first movie. It's not one of those situations where it's like, okay, you know, he was almost there and he kind of fixed it in the later movies. No, like right out the gate, the music was epic. It was awesome. And it fit the mm -hmm. atmosphere so well. It helped create the atmosphere. Oh, yeah. Such genius. Such skill. Now, let's start with, uh, with, I mean, this movie has so many people in it. So I'm just going to do the principal cast. Daniel Radcliffe as Harry Potter, of course. Emma Watson, Hermione Granger, Rupert Grint as Ron Weasley, Richard Harris as Professor Dumbledore, Maggie Smith as Professor McGonagall, Robbie Coltrane as Hagrid, Tom Felton as Draco Malfoy, Matthew Lewis as Neville Longbottom, <laughs> Longbottom, Ian Hart, <laughs> Ian Hart as Professor Quirrell, and last but not least, certainly not least, Alan Rickman as Professor Snape. It's crazy. Like how many, how many people, I mean, it's been so long. It's been 22 years, you know, I mean, a handful of those people are gone now, which is very sad. RIP. We had uh, Richard Harris, you know, as Dumbledore, the very first Dumbledore in the first movies. Mm -hmm. And then he was taken over by Michael Gambon and he recently passed. Yeah. The other, like the other day. Yeah, the reason why Richard Harris didn't continue is because he passed. You know, he was already kind of old when uh, the movies were coming out, so he was only able to film the first two movies, unfortunately. And then Michael Gambon came in. You know, he finished off the movies, but yeah, he just passed away not that long ago. Yeah, exactly. And I remember when they did the the twentieth anniversary uh, reunion on HBO, mm -hmm. and they had a tribute to all the people who had passed since they did the movies. And there were, so, I mean, there were so many there, of course they did, did cast crew, just everybody, you know, mm -hmm. and there were so many, I mean, it's been 20 years, so that's a long time, you know, for, for people to, to pass away. But one thing that was sad to me is that Robbie Coltrane was on there and he, he was talking about, you know, how great the reunion was and everything. And he's like, you know, the next time, the next time we have one of these, I'm probably not going to be around. Really? Yeah. He passed away uh, like a year later. I think he passed away in 2022. So, so sad, right? Yeah. I mean, time goes on and, you know, people are getting old. And of course, there are people that were taken too early. Like, um, oh, I can't remember her name off the top of my head. But the one who played Malfoy's mom, who's amazing. I didn't hear about her. Never. Yeah. She, that, no, she was years ago. Um, man, a while ago. And she she's an amazing actress. One thing that I definitely know her from is 
Peaky Blinders. Watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I am a big Killian fan, so why not? Yeah, he's great in it too, of course. Oh, as I was alluding to earlier, since this is December and our holiday episode, what made you want to cover Harry Potter in the first place? I don't know. It's it's interesting because, you know, you're telling me, like, oh, let's do a Christmas movie and this and that. And I couldn't, I couldn't think of one that I really wanted to do. Well, let me ask you this. Is this a quintessential holiday movie for you? Uh, for me, I feel like, well, definitely a holiday season movie series that I like to watch. And I, I don't know if it's just the whimsy or, you know, the, the fantastical feel of it kind of matching the, the Christmas spirit feel. Because hmm. they they do have Christmas, I think, in, a, in just almost every movie. But, it's you know, it's pretty short. <laughs> so it's not necessarily a Christmas movie. Well, I mean, I can see why it would be considered a holiday movie. Because, for one, it is a lighthearted movie. So it's something that you don't mind watching around this time, you know. Because you just want everything to be just, like, fun and magical Happy, and this yeah. and that. But um, it also goes through different seasons in the film. So it covers Halloween and Christmas. And in some ways, Mm -hmm. I feel like it could be compared to something like The Nightmare Before Christmas, where it could easily be a Halloween movie or Christmas movie or both. Yeah, that's true. Do you want to lead us in? Where does the movie start off? Okay, so it starts off just on a street. Professor Dumbledore, you know, all in his robes and stuff like that, just kind of walks in and takes that takes out his his uh it, it, what looks like you know it looks a, lighter like a lighter or something starts clicking it yeah it instead of creating light it's like sucking light in it's it's called the deluminator i think if i'm if i remember correctly is that the only time we see something like that because i i don't think that really served any purpose it's interesting because it serves uh it serves a bigger purpose actually in in later films oh okay and then you know, you see, you see a cat, and he he talks to the cat. He's like I didn't Naturally. think you would be here, Professor McGonagall. And then she turns into a woman. Now, what is, what is that actually called in the books? Uh, I'm not a, I'm not actually sure how you pronounce it. Uh, animagus. I thought they said something like transfiguration. Transfiguration. Or... Transfiguration is, you know, just changing stuff in, into something else. Oh, but that's the class she teaches. But a, a witch or wizard, yeah, or witch or wizard that can turn into uh, an animal is an animagus. She's a warehouse cat. Yes, pretty much. And so, and actually, when when you can turn into an animal, when you become one, you have to register so that they know who can turn into what. That's funny. Oh, I would like to point out, too, that Dumbledore and McGonagall very much look like the typical wizard and witch that you would kind of picture in your mind. I know. And they did a good job of representing their their book counterparts like they they look like what you would imagine them to look like when you're reading the book, you know, so they did a pretty good job. Fun fact with uh, McGonagall. So Maggie Smith, I was watching some sort of like YouTube behind the scenes, like making of type of video. And Maggie Smith actually suggested to Chris Columbus to make Professor McGonagall Scottish. Because I think he wanted to just make her English at first. Yeah. Well, like everybody else, it works. And I mean, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, Hogwarts is actually in Scotland. Oh, I never knew. Okay. So when when they get on the Hogwarts Express and they take the train for like a full day, they're going to Scotland. I always thought they just went into some like weird land that isn't on the map or it's like a different dimension <laughs> or something. Nah, just Scotland. <laughs> it's so magical over there. It's very nice. 
moving on. <laughs> this is in uh, Surrey. And after, you know, after Dumbledore and McGonagall are introduced, Hagrid enters on a flying motorcycle carrying a baby that he just picked up from Godric's Hollow. McGonagall, of course, objecting, which I think she definitely should have objected harder. But she's, hmm. you know, she's like, uh, are you sure you want to leave him with these people? Because these people are the worst sort of muggles and they really are. Oh, my goodness. Did Dumbledore <laughs> not know this? I thought he's all knowing. No, he did. He did know this and he did it for a reason. He thought that it would offer him the most amount of protection from Voldemort's return. <laughs> Because even Voldemort does not dare mess with the Dursleys or whatever they're oh called. Oh my goodness, seriously, no. I'm pretty sure that it gets a little bit deeper into explaining that. It's been a while since I've read the books, and I definitely didn't have time to read them <laughs> just for this podcast. But I feel like something about how horrible they are kind of repels just everything. Probably just repels any other living creature. I believe it. But, yeah. But, um... Now, there is something to make a note of. When they drop off the baby, this isn't just some normal-looking baby. There's something very distinct about this baby. It is a scar on the forehead in the shape of a, somewhat of a lightning bolt. And now, we fast forward 10 years later, and let's talk more about the Dursleys. Let's, let's do more of a deeper dive into Vernon, Petunia, and Dudley. Oh, man. As far as I remember, uh, Petunia has always been kind of horrible to enter her sister and everything how harry is related to them is because petunia is his mom's sister right yes so i mean it basically starts off you see harry in his room pretty quickly discover that he literally lives in the space under the stairs yeah like a little closet like a storage space yeah and his cousin is running up and down the stairs you know basically stomping on his ceiling and causing a bunch of dust to fall down on him and uh, he has a there's a there's a lock on the outside so they can lock him in if he's being bad or something you know which he probably isn't but his window is like that little vent that they can close yeah it's like a little great thing as soon as he comes out they start bossing him around like make us breakfast and but i don't understand how do they feel so comfortable treating this little being, innocent boy like shit it's basically abuse you know and then it's D dudley his cousin's birthday and they show him his pile of presents and he's like how many are there and they say 36 and he's like last year i had 37 and he starts throwing <laughs> a tantrum over that he's like the most spoiled little bratty kid ever and the parents are just so lenient on him yeah it's so dumb so they go to the zoo for his birthday and they're like we'll get you two more presents while we're out or whatever you know shows them go to the the snake the reptile enclosure the snake the snake enclosure and Dudley's just banging on the glass like make him move and you know the the parents start banging on the glass too trying to make the snake move because <laughs> the snake is being boring yeah because the snake is being boring and he and they just shove Harry out of the way and he falls on the floor and so this is where you first discover that Harry can make things happen unexpectedly unexpectedly yeah oh and before actually before that Harry's talking to the snake and the snake is responding kind of like nodding his head and stuff like that right uh, one thing i wondered about that you though can actually, understand is that, me. yeah is that when when you later you find out that when harry talks to snakes to other people they're hearing parcel tongue which is the snake language 
So I wonder if in this scene, if anybody was nearby, if he was speaking parcel tongue without realizing it. I think so. I was able to put two and two together when I rewatched it because early on, this was like way before you find out about parcel tongue and all that stuff. So I think Rowling was kind of setting that up early on in the movie or in the books. And so I firmly believe that he was probably doing some whatever the crap that he does, <laughs> right? When he's doing num tongue. Yeah. So yeah, I I do think that he was speaking parcel tongue right here, and that was yeah. just like a little Easter egg that you won't find out until much later. Yeah, Dudley falls into the snake enclosure, and the snake escapes. And then when Dudley gets up, the glass is back. He's trapped in. You know, of course, when that happens, Vernon looks at Harry and is, you know, is like you're you're in for it, and they just treat Harry like such crap. And then in the books, you you find out that. You know, Harry only ever gets Dudley's hand-me-downs, and so all his clothes are really baggy because he's, you know, super skinny because they don't feed him, and Dudley's fat. <laughs> so Vernon is just as bad as Dudley. Oh yeah, they're all, they're all bad. They're all bad. They're all horrible. So eventually, you know, Harry starts getting he gets a letter which gets taken from him, and they they know about magic. Well, at least Vernon and Petunia know about magic. They know, they, you know, where Harry came from. Yeah, don't tell him about it at all. They, he thinks that his his parents died in a car crash. So they know about magic. They know where Harry came from. They know the situation. So when they start getting the letter, uh, Harry's accept, acceptance letter to Hogwarts, they're like, nope, we don't want this in our house. We don't want Harry going to that school. We don't, we don't want it. And so they take the letter and then more come and they try to keep them all from Harry. But it gets so bad, they're delivering so many letters they're coming in through you know all the crevices of the house the fireplace the mail slot just everywhere and it gets to the point where vernon's like we're going away and he there's also like a hundred owls outside as well delivering the mail they hang around after they drop off the i know waiting for their waiting for their little coin (laughs) yeah so he takes them to a little shack shack in the ocean and haggard eventually shows up Oh, and, and by the way, this is Harry's birthday now. In the shack, there's a bed and a couch, and they give the bed. The bed goes to the to Petunia and Vernon, and the couch goes to Dudley, and so Harry's on the floor. The dusty-ass cold floor. Yeah. You can hear the ocean raging outside. Also, what is this island? It's like a lighthouse thing. <laughs> I know. It's just it's just a shack in the ocean. Like it's not even It's not even on any land. It's just a shack in the ocean. Or at least yeah. that's what it looks like. Uh so Haggard, Haggard shows up and busts down the door and is like, happy birthday, Harry. And everyone's like, who the hell are you? And he's like, you're a wizard. You got this big ass ogre just storming in and he's just like, oh, sorry about that. And just like puts the door back up. I mean, how terrifying would that be? Because you're, it's the middle of the night. The ocean is like crashing all around this yeah. island. And then this guy just pops up. Like you're the only one on this island. Huge guy. Yeah. Bust down, literally bust down the door. And it's just like, oh, sorry. <laughs> Oh, another question really quick. So what were the the Dursley's fear of letting Harry go to Hogwarts? Because if he's there, then they don't have to put up with them. Why they even decide to take in Harry in the first place if they fucking hate him? They took in Harry. Uh, I think there. Well, I mean, definitely there, there was some sort of arrangement that was made with Petunia for her sister. There was a letter. I mean, you saw that there was a letter that was dropped off with Harry, and the letter is to Petunia. And Vernon, I think Vernon was like a hard no on this. 
but whatever was in the letter convinced petunia to let harry stay um one of the later movie books they actually do decide to just kick harry out they're just like we're done we're kicking you out hmm. and then immediately petunia gets a howler which is a letter that yells at you <laughs> anywho Hagrid goes ahead and just takes takes Harry with him out of the shack and leaves the Dursleys to their own devices to get home. Shocking to no one, Harry decides to leave with the strange man. Right. Because <laughs> that's better than staying there with the Dursleys. Side note, Hagrid is half giant, half, you know, wi- wizard. And his mom is, is the giant and his dad was a wizard. Dang, way to go, dad. And how in the heck did that work? He's like, I'm going to climb that like a tree. (laughs) I'm going to go spelunking. (laughs) (laughs) So he uh, basically introduces Harry to to his new world, which is pretty cool. You get to see, uh, you get to go to the, is it the Three Broomsticks? Well, they go to Diagon Alley. Well, yeah, but they go through the, the bar. It's a regular bar. The Leaky Cauldron? I'm trying to remember what, what what it's called, but they go through the bar, and then they go into the back and tap on some bricks, and it opens the door into Diagon Alley. As he's like preparing to go to Hogwarts, um, Hagrid even explains a little bit about this mysterious guy who they refer to as he who must not be named because they're so terrified of even saying his name. It's forbidden. Yeah, and he, of course, finds out that that's who gave him the scar that's who killed his parents it wasn't a car accident but he also well i mean he get, he also gets to experience you know some of the the wonder he gets to be paired with a wand how awesome is just this part of the movie the diagon alley green gods all the little shops and everything like freaking awesome just as fun as going to diagon alley at universal and you know, they really, they really, really captured the feel of that at Universal for sure. So it was really fun. Mm-hmm. It's actually pretty cool too, because if you've never been to any of the Universal Studios, um, you can either get like a really basic like plastic wand, which doesn't do anything, or you can get the one that has like a little like sensor at the tip. And then you can, yeah. you get like a little map and you can go throughout the park and do like little spells and then it'll like make things move and like, yeah, it'll trigger uh, it trigger something. so fun. Yeah, I forgot whose wand she got because you can get like any of the characters' wands. I think she ended up getting maybe Luna's. Luna Lovegoods. That was my guess because Luna Luna's is really pretty. So yeah, and we also got the robes, and that's cool that the robe actually has a wand pocket on the inside. It's like a holster. No, it's just—I mean—it's just a a really long pocket on the inside of the robe. That was funny. So you could pull it out of the inside of your robe, like. <laughs> <laughs> Expelliarmus. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I don't even know what that does. Do you remember? <laughs> it uh, dewands you. Oh, is that what that is? Okay. Yeah. After Harry's done doing all of his shopping and uh, Hagrid went and got him uh, a nice An little owl. owl. Well, he went to Gringotts and got some money, found out he's actually rich. So that's cool. I thought, oh, that's right. he was so, like, well, how am I supposed to buy anything? I don't have any money. And right, right. Hagrid's like... Well, little do you know, you know. So Gringotts is pretty cool. This is this is like the wizard bank that everyone uses. Yeah. And they use basically a roller coaster to get to all the vaults. And it looks like it's about to fall apart too. I know. And it's ran by goblins, which is actually pretty interesting. Yeah. Why is it ran by them? Are they like the just like the best 
with money or something. I think so. Also not very friendly. No. They can see through lies pretty easily and they make valuable things also. Like the sword of Gryffindor is goblin made, for example. Or like Smiths? Yeah. So which is why which is why they steal basically steal Griphook later on because they're looking for the sword of Gryffindor because they need it to destroy Horcruxes because it's infused with basilisk venom. I think the listeners are so lost right now. Right. I'm lost. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> These deep dives are getting pretty intense. I know too much. Yeah. Needless to say, Gringotts is the shit. And I don't know. I just, I thought it was so cool because um, this is the place that everyone tends to uh, visit as a wizard or a witch. Not only do you keep money there, but you can use the safe to store anything. And uh, we find out that after visiting Harry's vault, and finding out that he has like a boatload of gold in there. He's rich, bitch. Um, then Hagrid says, oh, do you mind if we go visit another vault? Uh, Got to do some business, some business for Professor Dumbledore while he's there. So this one doesn't even have a regular key either. This one's like some weird like mind trick type of thing to open the vault that only the goblins apparently know how to do. But yeah, they they roll through on their little minecart looking thing. I forgot what the vault number was, but um, they visit that one. You know, the goblin does this little thing to open the the locks, and all that's in this mysterious vault is just this little thing in a bag, like this tiny bag sitting on top of this pedestal. And so Haggard grabs that, puts it in his pocket, and makes a note. You know, he's he's a little weird about it. He he kind of mentions to Harry. Best not mention this to anyone, you know, so puts in his pocket and they proceed to go shopping, shopping spree. I mean, how awesome is that, though? Going on a shopping spree in a wizarding shopping center, picking up all those crazy shit that you didn't even know even existed. Before we we move on past Diagon Alley, I did want to mention that they briefly stop by this broom shop and the all the kids are just raving about this new broom model that came out and it's called the nimbus 2000 yeah and that comes back later that's right on to king's cross train station where we're looking for something called platform nine and three quarters whatever the hell that is and Hagrid just fucking vanishes like batman i know like i feel like that's kind of an important detail to tell somebody who's never (laughs) experienced platform nine and three quarters you know so he goes and actually asks somebody because he doesn't know maybe it's some you know secret platform that only the employees know about for all he knows you know so he asks an employee and how how would you know because there's several pillars that say platform nine on it so which one are you even supposed to use there should only be the one because the other pillars would have the other platforms like eight and seven and whatever. Well, it's all the same platform. So I think he was on platform nine and he's looking for three quarters of it or whatever. But it's like there's a lot of pillars that he's passing. And he's like, what the fuck? Like all these just say nine. So, of course, he asked somebody and they're like, uh, what are you fucking with me or something? You know, uh, and then <laughs> oh, he yeah, hears- the staff member. Yeah. And so he hears somebody walking by saying something along the lines of this place is always packed with muggles. And he's like, muggles, that's a wizard word, you know? So he goes and follows them. But the thing is they're at King's cross. Of course it's always packed with muggles. Like, why is that something she would say? 
<laughs> I know, right? It's only a very popular train station. Exactly. That is for muggles. So. But good thing is that these are a bunch of bright red haired ginger people, so they're easy to spot. Yeah. So he follows them and he, you know, she's like, okay, you know, get on the platform and someone goes through the barrier right when, right when somebody else is walking by. So Harry kind of doesn't see it, you know, like, did they just disappear? And then the twins go and they just run right in and Harry asks, and she's like, yeah, you just run right into that wall. It was kind of cute because she she didn't treat him like an idiot or anything. She was like, oh, this is your first time. Yeah. So basically all you do is you just give it a, a little bit of a run, you know, like for if you're a little nervous about it. Yeah. She's always been very motherly to Harry, which is cute. Mm -hmm. Immediately. She didn't even know who the hell this kid was. And she was already nice to him. Yeah, exactly. So he, he manages to get onto platform nine and three quarters and he finds an empty car on the train or an empty room, whatever you call it, Ron joins him and together they buy the entire sweets trolley thing and, you know, are enjoying that. So that's, that's cute. Yeah. It's, it's kind of cool because Ron Weasley and Harry, they, they kind of hit it off right from the get go and they became inseparable ever since. Yeah. And then Hermione comes and she's acting all pompous and stuff like, Oh, you guys are doing a little bit of magic. Let's see it then, you know, kind of thing. In some ways, Hermione is kind is not unlike Draco. Ah, he's kind of that way I think too. That's why yeah, a lot of people snobbish. ship those two. You think so? I feel like really? yeah, a lot of people in like the fan world are about Draco and Hermione getting together. You know that would have been a pretty powerful wizard couple, if I say yeah, so myself. That's true. Now, Hermione, did you actually like this character from the beginning, or did you think she was annoying? Well, you know, back in the day when I started reading the books and stuff, I related to her a lot. You felt like you saw a lot of yourself in Hermione? A little bit, yeah. Because, you know, she's kind of she's kind of teacher's petty, very smart, studious. And that's a know-it-all. Yeah, she was a know-it-all. And I, I was kind of <laughs> like that, too. So I saw a lot of myself in her. But um, over the years, I've come to appreciate Ginny a lot. She does become very important later. It's funny because you see her in this movie, but she's yeah. she's only on screen for like two seconds. Yeah, and she says, good luck. Yep. So how the fuck does she have a line before even like Ron or Hermione do in this movie? That's crazy. Right. And it's the same actress too. It's not like they recasted her later on. No. Even though she became way taller than Daniel Radcliffe. How cool were these freaking snacks on Hogwarts I Express? Know. Like, what, what kind of they stuff did they delicious. did they reveal? They had like the chocolate frog, which moves. Uh huh. They also had cauldron cakes, birdie bots, every flavored beans, which is pretty cool because they actually turned that into a real thing. Yeah, and they actually make them, you know, all kinds of disgusting flavors, good flavors, cool, and and, and also terrible at the same time. Yeah, very risky. <laughs> Finally, uh, they get to the school and they meet Draco, right? Yeah, we get to Hogwarts. Well, I guess the train station, the closest one to Hogwarts is in Hogsmeade, right? Yeah. And so they run into a familiar face in Hagrid who escorts the first years to campus. Yeah, everyone else uh, takes carriages to the school, but the first years take boats in the lake. The And the boats take them to 
I guess, another entrance in the school so they can come in from another direction. So have you ever looked up the map for Hogwarts before? No, I don't think I have, actually. Like a little topical map here. Yeah, so I think they take, you know, this is like the, the main school, whatever I hear. This is like the, the entrance and everything. I think you come in from Hogsmeade Station over here. Mm -hmm. I guess they take a shortcut through this lake right here, which is, it kind of reminds me of King's Landing and Blackwater Bay a little bit. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I think they take it all the way down to this boathouse down here because the next destination is the Great Hall. So that's like a straight shot. Yeah. Yeah. And they basically come in through the back because everybody else comes in through the front. And they just kind of stand in a row, like in, in the front of the room, until they get sorted. This was such a, a cool part, and, and fun too. They're getting sorted into uh, a few different houses, right? And so, if you don't know, Gryffindor, Slytherin, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw. So the sorting hat is uh, designed to designate you to a certain house, and then you stick to that house for the rest of your term at Hogwarts. You know, they came out with the sorting online, so people could quote-unquote officially get sorted into a house themselves they ask you a bunch mm -hmm. of questions that you have to just kind of answer and um people people grow up people change people mature or not etc but no matter what like what house you're sorted into when you are first year at 11 years old showing up at hogwarts is where you stay right get there for life yeah so i thought that was interesting um and so when they started doing the sorting thing online, people got sorted into houses and then they kind of revamped it. And so like a lot of people took the test again and resorted. And I was like, well, no, I mean, I actually did too, but I was like, no, you know, cause where I got sorted the first time is where I would have stayed the, my entire school career if I, right. you know, was there in real life. And so I stuck to my first house, even if I had changed and would be, you know, more fitting to a different house. I'm wondering a couple things here. So do you think that there's a reason why you stick to a house the entire time? Like, do you think that Rowling was thinking like you don't change that much as a person? I was thinking so like maybe your core, your core characteristic or your core, I don't know, personality or traits or whatever don't really change. The other thing I'm wondering is that do you think it would make more sense to be able to switch houses? Hmm. Maybe. I mean, because some, sometimes someone could go through maybe like a very major, you know, life event or something like that. And it might actually change who they are as a person down to their core, you know. But I mean, they there is something about a wizard that does change if you go through something traumatic. And that is their Patronus. So usually the, your Patronus takes the shape of an animal, but your Patronus could change. Yeah, so... So the, the the interesting thing is the hat, the hat, you put the hat on your head when you're getting sorted and it kind of can look into your mind, look into your soul and figure out where you would go best, what house you would go best. And it can kind of read your thoughts too, right? Yeah, no, it totally can. Because it totally, it also takes into account your choice. So, you know, you see Harry, you know, saying not Slytherin, not Slytherin, not Slytherin. And the hat's like, oh, but you could do great in Slytherin. And of course, it's all out loud in the movie because you have to hear it. But in right, right. the book, it's, you know, you just, it's just like a conversation between you and the hat. And so the hat's like, oh, you'd be great in Slytherin, but okay, you know, Gryffindor. And if you do fit equally into two houses, that's called a hat stall, in case you wanted to know. 
What's interesting is that it seems like your whatever your choices is ultimately going to carry more weight. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's important what your choice is because not, you're not just choosing a house. You're choosing your character in a sense, you know? Like you're choosing, hmm. this is who I'm going to be. I'm going to be this courageous person instead of this, you know, resourceful and cunning person or whatever. Now, the hat kind of wanted to place Harry in Slytherin initially. And then, you know, like Harry was like, anything but Slytherin, anything but Slytherin. How do you think Harry would have been if he actually did get sent to Slytherin? He probably, of course, in the movie, for the for the sake of the movie, they pretty much portray Slytherins as just all bad guys, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not necessarily, I mean, yeah, obviously they can become bad, probably bad guys because the, the main characteristics of Slytherin are, you know, cunning and resourcefulness. Which a lot of bad guys are very good at. Exactly, because it's kind of like a, it's not so much a, a you doing the right thing. It's you doing what you need to do to get what you want. You know, the ambition and the resourcefulness and all that stuff. So he probably would have been, I think he would have turned out less, oh, Gryffindor bravery, you know, rah, 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 or whatever. But he, I think he would have been a little bit more serious and a little bit more confident interesting okay you know what i actually thought was kind of cool was that you know they all ended up in gryffindor or whatever but they all had traits for other houses so ron would have he i think he would have served well in hufflepuff uh -huh, um, hermione would have served well in ravenclaw exactly. and then harry would have served well in slytherin yeah but they all yeah. ended up in gryffindor and of course the hat probably took into account choices it seems like the hat can also kind of glimpse into your future and, and see what you're capable of. Kind of glad that they do make a big deal about it and everyone kind of respects it because even the other years are it gathered in the Great Hall and yeah. everyone, the whole school is watching you. Every person that goes up and they're just sitting there like, I wonder where he's going to go. I wonder where he's going to go. Yeah, I love uh, how they just had zero order to what names they called. What was McGonagall thinking? No alphabetical order or anything. Yeah, no order at all. So annoying. But anyway, now we see Harry gets to study magic. Finally get a little taste of the school. We get a taste of the classes and a little bit of the magic. Just like just seeing the school and seeing the classrooms and like what these courses are like. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get to see a little bit of um, flying on a broom, which they do. I always thought of that as like PE class. Yeah, I know, right? They're outside. Because and... <laughs> a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to have to fucking fly a broom. This is know, so stupid. Physical. And of course, everything bad happens to Neville, which is which is kind of a running gag through in the movies. It, <laughs> I don't, it's not that bad in the books, I think, but everything happens to Neville in the movies. And so, of course, his broom like kind of takes off with him on it on its own and madam hooch is like get back down here and he's just like whoa because he's not doing he's not doing it like she didn't do a damn thing yeah she's just like okay stand next to your room and say up and then she was telling neville to get back down here she should have had some sort of like spell that she can like pull him down manually yeah that's true but i mean in the in in that whole ordeal he ends up breaking his wrist and so she has to take him to the infirmary and then draco being draco starts fucking around oh yeah he takes his rememberal yeah, and Harry ha Harry chases him down and proves that he has a natural, uh, he's naturally good at flying. So McGonagall happens to see, you know, the situation 
and instead of getting Harry in trouble, she's like, come with me. And she immediately, in the middle of, of class sessions, go and goes and pulls Oliver Wood from his class and is like, I found you a seeker. And who is Oliver? He is the captain of the Gryffindor Quidditch team. Oh, shit. So they recruited him. Yes. And what is a seeker? Oh, man. So Quidditch is a fun game. It has a few parts to it. There is a, a component where a couple of players handle a ball and are trying to get it through the opposing team's hoops. They have three hoops on each side. Uh, you know, there's somebody who kind of plays goalie against that. And then there's this other couple of players that have bats and there's a ball that just flies around trying to unseat <laughs> everybody on, on its own. And so they have the bats and they're hitting that thing around away from their, their teammates and towards the other teammates. And why is that the only thing to combat that? You just get like a little club and you just bat it away. I don't know. I feel like she was like putting popular sports together, you know, like soccer and <laughs> cricket or something. Cricket. Yeah. Um, cricket in the sky. <laughs> yeah and so and so the last one is a seeker and so there's this little tiny winged golf ball size situation that flies around flits around on its own and the seeker is in charge of catching the that golden and usually snitch. the golden snitch and usually because catching the snitch is worth worth 150 points and ends the game so usually catching the snitch wins you the game but not always because if there's more than 150 point difference and you're losing and you catch the snitch then you're still losing. Oh, okay. I always thought like you, you won no matter what. No, that's all. like, guaranteed. that's such a random number. 150 for some reason. Right. So it be, I think because most of the time it guarantees you the win, but not every time. So after Harry is recruited as the seeker, um, we get a little bit more of the dynamic that Snape and Harry are going to have throughout the series because, um, during potions class, Harry just gets fucking outed by Snape. Like, Snape just basically publicly humiliates him in front of the class. I know. And it's, it wasn't even necessary because he was, you know, Snape was talking and he was actually taking notes on what Snape was saying. But Snape was like, oh, you don't have to pay attention because you're famous kind of thing. And starts asking him a bunch of questions. And he doesn't know the answers to any of them. And like, what was the point in that, you know, besides to obviously humiliate him or whatever? Yeah. He has some sort of axe to grind and you don't know why. Yeah. Apparently fame isn't everything yeah not not everything man again like i just i loved this portion of the movie because especially as a kid getting to see so many of the inner workings like the, of hogwarts yeah, and everything and all of its quirks like the revolving staircase the the house ghosts the moving paintings gryffindor common room hagrid's hut the forest, the Great Hall, like fucking all of that shit was awesome to watch. That's, yeah, they, they they introduced a little bit of everything in this so that you wouldn't be so lost, I guess, for the rest of them, you know, and they could focus more on story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely first movie. So then the trio get redirected to uh, the forbidden area of the school by the revolving staircases, right? They're on their way to class or I think they're, are they heading back to the common rooms and then they get redirected? Yeah, because it's at night and then Instead of, I mean, again, I feel like if I got stuck on a moving staircase, I would probably just wait there until it moved back to where I wanted it to go, you know, <laughs> and then just gone mm -hmm. on my way. But they're like, well, the staircase moved. Let's just keep going. Yeah. And then get completely lost and end up in a forbidden area. I mean, where they found 
a three-headed dog <laughs> named Fluffy. <laughs> which they find out is named Fluffy, which is hilarious because Hagrid's regular dog, his name is Fang, and he's like a big scary cat. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when they ran into this three-headed dog, obviously it's pretty intimidating, pretty scary. And this thing is giant. You know, it's like the size of a house, basically. Hermione noticed that it, was, it seemed to be guarding something. There was like a hatch underneath where it was standing. And I wonder where that goes. Yeah, and nobody notices it except Hermione. She's like, did you notice what was standing on? He's like, no, I wasn't looking at its feet. I was trying not to get eaten by its heads. And there's Seriously. three of them in case you didn't notice. Which, I mean, Ron has a point. Yeah. Um, great line also by Hermione, where she wants to get back to the common room, the Gryffindor common room. She's like, we could have all been killed or worse, expelled. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to bed. I know. That's a classic line. And then Ron's like, she needs to get her priorities straight. <laughs> I love that line. Even even now, even though I was expecting it, like I still got a kick out of it. Same here. Still cracks me up. So next morning is Halloween. And at breakfast, Harry receives a package from his owl Hedwig. And, uh, you know, it's wrapped. But I wonder what it could be. What's in there, do you think? Um, You know, judging by the shape of the wrapping, I have no idea. But they're all like, oh, what could it be? And then he opens it up, you know, and it's like oh, it's super obvious. Like, there's no mistaking. It's not just any old broomstick, though. It is a brand new Nimbus 2000. The same one we saw earlier in the film. Well, maybe not the exact same one, but same model. Yeah. And seriously, who could have possibly sent him that? Mm -hmm. And then McGonagall kind of does a little winky eye. Yeah. So Hermione shows off to Ron in charms class. So this is where they're trying to lift yeah. a feather with their wand. I know. And this is where you get that classic, you know, it's not when Guardian Liviosa or whatever. It's Wingardium Liviosa, not Liviosa. Not Liviosa. Yeah, she's, she's the worst. No wonder she doesn't have any friends. Yeah, that's like after class and she hears it. And so she goes off and cries, goes and cries in the bathroom like all afternoon. She stayed in the girl's restroom like that afternoon, like the entirety of the yeah, rest of the day. She refused to leave. Yeah. Uh, I think classes are probably over because she probably wouldn't have missed a class just to cry. Mm -hmm. You know, that's true. But while she was in there, somebody released a troll in the dungeons. And this thing's just like wandering around the halls, apparently. Good thing Professor Quirrell rushes into the Great Hall to warn the faculty that uh, there's a troll walking around. And then he faints. Yeah, this is the defense against the dark arts teacher. Right. And supposedly he's done all this amazing stuff. Everyone starts freaking the fuck out because it's a troll and they're they're very dangerous. You know, you don't want to encounter one, especially not as a first year. Dumbledore has to restore order, orders all the students to return to their house common rooms. And then the faculty are going to go troll hunting. Yes. However, Harry and Ron realize, oh, wait, Hermione doesn't know about the troll. And so they decided to take it upon themselves for whatever reason. Instead of telling somebody, they decided to take it upon themselves to go get Hermione. And they're like, oh, we'll just, you know, get her from the bathroom and, and go back to the dorm. By the time they get there, the troll has wandered up from the dungeon straight into Hermione's Oof. bathroom. That's some rotten luck. Right? Because it's not like they only have one bathroom in the whole place either. 
Ron and Harry, they, they haul ass to the women's uh, restroom and they're actually too late because the troll found Hermione first. I think she is finally done crying and she's going to head out. And then when she looks up, the troll is just standing in the doorway and uh, tries to murder her. <laughs> yeah, very much. Uh, as she tries to escape. Dude, she probably would have died had uh, Ron and Harry not shown up. Yeah, I agree. Luckily, she was able to buy herself some time by like, you know, like hiding under the stalls and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but they told her, I mean, like as soon as they ran in, they were like, duck. And, you know, that was when she got down. Get down. What What's cool about this fight scene here is that it's not who you would expect to save the day. So Harry, you know, he steps up first and he tries to do his thing. And the troll ends up grabbing him and tries to kill him, too. And so now it's up to Ron to save the day of all people. And he has to show his worth right now. How apropos is it that he uses the spell that Hermione was teaching him earlier that day? Avada Kedavra. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yes, that's the one. <laughs> JK, JK, rolling. <laughs> um, if, if you know, you know what that spell is. Yes, and I definitely know. <laughs> but yeah, so Ron successfully uses Wingardium Liviosa on the uh, troll's club Finally. and uh, drops on the troll's head, knocking him unconscious. And then I totally stopped watching for a minute while they gathered their boogers and left because <laughs> uh, was it Harry's wand? Was it or Ron's wand? That was up. up yeah. The it just nose. gets like stuck in there and he's just like, Oh, but I don't know. Again, questionable CGI. This thing was pretty cheesy looking. Indeed. Yeah. That's, this is definitely one of the two parts I think where the bad CG, no three parts. <laughs> So I think there are three parts, in my opinion, where the CGI is incredibly noticeably bad. And that's one of them. The troll doesn't look great. The second one is the when the centaur comes and saves them mm. in the forest. Yeah, it was pretty weak. He and then the great. end. <laughs> yes. I mean, granted, they did a decent job, I think, for what they had for the time. But definitely today it would have been a lot better. And you would think that this was a big win for the trio, but no, the faculty show up and they get into trouble. They're supposed to return to the common room, but they did not because Ron and Harry went to go grab Hermione and Hermione was already being attacked. So, you know, they had to do what they had yes, to do. Exactly. And uh, of course, when they finally, the grown ups finally come and find them, Hermione takes the fall. That's true. Yeah. She said that she went looking for the troll and, you know, she ended up getting into some shit. So Ron and here had a saver. Which was nice. The beginning of their friendship. And actually, the, the, yeah. yeah, the chapter ends the way that that chapter ends in the book. Uh, I can't remember the exact wording. It's been, you know, a few years, but something like there's some things that you just can't help being friends after and fighting a troll in the girl's bathroom is one of them sort of thing. And so like after that point that they're like officially friends. And now they're like the trio. The the legendary trio is finally formed. Ah, okay. So that was the turning point for them. Yes. Now she's no longer upset with Ron. Apparently not. <laughs> Still not attracted to him yet though. Not yet. But every once in a while they'll have like a little a little moment that seems like foreshadowing. Okay. Uh, it's interesting to, I mean, obviously we, every, we try to get a little bit of quidditch in every movie, which is very, very interesting too. It's great fan service because watching that sport get brought to life was really interesting. 
Uh, especially like when you read about it and you're like, that sounds ridiculous. Yeah, I was going to say, was this one of the, the major elements of the book that people are like, I wonder how they're going to do this? Yeah, and obviously we figured it out after a while. So we're at Quidditch, baby! Slytherin versus Gryffindor. Now, yeah. I definitely want to say that this is, in my opinion, one of the best parts of the movie and I don't even think there's any question about that. But how do you feel about this part of the movie? Because this is kind of like the, the midway point, right? Oh, yes. Quidditch in the books and in the movies are always something to look forward to. It's always a high point. It's always right, just right. pure happiness, you know? Yeah, there are a lot of, there's a lot of hype behind it. Yeah, it's, it's just really, it's really fun. And it's a nice break from, you know, Harry up being on the edge of death all the time like <laughs> true and I, I feel like we also get to hear a lot about the game like you know throughout the movie you know it's, it's kind of mentioned in passing a lot but now we actually get to see what it's all about and actually you know what while I was watching this I began to think that this was meant to be almost like a rugby but flying on a broomstick trying to emulate that same feeling yeah I'm sure that it pulls from you know different several different sports I wouldn't really know because I'm not really into sports, <laughs> but I mean, it has the bats. And so that could be a little bit of, I don't know, baseball or cricket or whatever. And then sure. you're trying to get the ball through the hoops. And that kind of reminds me a little bit of soccer. I wouldn't say basketball because the way that the, I don't know, the way that the ball travels across the field, the pitch, I guess it reminds me more of soccer than it does of say basketball, you know, because they're holding on to the ball. Or I guess maybe it would be rugby, rugby. Yeah, because they hold on to it. Right. And then they run. It's it's kind of interesting that the faculty and the teachers and even like the parents allow Quidditch to happen because it does seem like there's a moderately high chance of death. I mean, you're like way up in the air. You can get knocked off your broom and you can just like be unconscious and fall to the ground, right? I mean, but you're surrounded by you're surrounded by magical people. If someone fell off their broom, somebody would magically catch them, you know? You would think, but then I question that because of the whole flying lesson when Neville started like just uh uncontrollably flying away she wasn't able to just immediately like pull him back to the ground with her wand i think she could have if it got you know like really dire like she thought he was gonna die or something like that or maybe she's just not that great but i mean when you're at a quidditch game you're surrounded by many many magical people i'm sure somebody will be able to save you you know um i did have Another question for Quidditch. Why do all the Slytherin players look so ugly and menacing while the Gryffindor players are more attractive? <laughs> I know. I take offense to that as a Slytherin. <laughs> I was just like, wow, they're they're pulling all the stops to make sure that you root for Gryffindor. I know. They, they definitely play up the whole everyone in Slytherin is evil thing, for sure, for the mm -hmm. movies, you know, to make it very black and white for the kids or whatever so that there's no conflict and no, I don't know, feeling for Draco or whatever. <laughs> So, how does this uh, Quidditch match go? Well, at first, Harry's kind of, I mean, it's his first ever match, you know, so Harry's just kind of watching for a while. And eventually, the snitch kind of flies around his head. Then he goes after it. And so, obviously, you can, you know, as, as an athlete, I imagine that, you know, when you're getting trained and stuff, you're getting trained on tactics and stuff. And they're probably like, you know, if you see the other seeker suddenly shooting for something, go after it too you mm -hmm. know so of course the other seeker comes along and um they're kind of neck and neck like flying in and out of the stands and but i mean then at some point you know harry's broom starts freaking out ron and hermione already suspect that snape is up to something 
And so they train their binoculars on him and notice him, you know, staring at Harry and muttering. And they're like, oh my God, Snape is, you know, hexing the broom or whatever. So Hermione sneaks over there and sets fire to his robes. Of course, as soon as, you know, he notices and tries to stomp him out and knocks a bunch of people over in the process, uh, Harry's broom goes back to normal and he's able to go after the snitch. That piece of shit Snape. Right. By standing on his broom and jumping for it and catching it in his mouth. <laughs> how how the fuck do your hands miss and it like lands in your mouth? That's funny. I guess when you're falling, I mean, his face went for it instead of his hands. I don't know. It was cool because it was like a Hail Mary. And I think that's also what allowed him to be able to catch the snitch was he actually left his broom. So I think most players would probably try to just remain on the broom. But he was just like, YOLO, you know, and then he just dove off in front <laughs> right? of it. And, uh, you know, he ate shit for it, but he caught the snitch. Yes, he did. And they won the game. Mm-hmm. First win after a crushing defeat, I suppose. Nice way to bounce back. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Like, that's something that makes him such a good seeker in Harry is that he's able to utilize, um, I don't know, just like unconventional tactics. Yeah. He helped save his friend from certain death with the troll, and then he won a very intense game of Quidditch in his very first game. Yeah, and of course, you know, all of Slytherin sees it probably as Harry trying to milk the fame. Oh, shit. You think they probably think he's doing it on purpose. You know, they think he's arrogant and full of himself and enjoys the fame and stuff. That's how Snape always saw him. Now that the game's over, we're back at Hagrid's hut and the trio state their case to Hagrid that Snape was the one sabotaging Harry's broom because of the evidence that, you know, you just talked about how Snape was he had his uh, focused stare. Right. And he's he's doing some sort of like incantation mumbling. Yeah, yeah, he's like mumbling to himself. And then once that fire broke out next to him, you know, all of a sudden Harry's broom went back fine. to being normal. And then he was able to fly and catch the the golden snitch. So um, they believe that Snape is the one that's trying to get into the hatch underneath Fluffy. Of course, Haggard being kind of the lovable big mouth that he is accidentally reveals what's under the hatch. <laughs> or not reveals what's under the hatch, but mentions a name. Yes. So he's just like, no, there's no way that Snape would be doing that. The only people that know the secret under the hatch would be Dumbledore and someone named Nicholas Flamel. And they're like, who the fuck is Nicholas Flamel? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should so have said they, that. Exactly. Inevitably try and try and look into him and can't find, which I find surprising, but they can't find any dirt on him mm-hmm. at all. When he's supposedly supposed to be a well-known alchemist or something famous right? alchemist yeah yeah why wouldn't there be any information on this famous guy who did some famous things you know right right but anyway christmas comes around yeah yeah. which is why this is a christmas movie dang it <laughs> i can only uh, imagine how dope christmas is at hogwarts or in the wizarding world in general i bet right. it must be so fun everything's just alive and and I like how in the you Great know. Hall, like, they always change the decorations, like the floating uh, sky or whatever, yeah. you know? Yeah. That must be so fun to, to look at. I'd probably be staring up at that ceiling, like, every dang day. Just looking at the, you know, the stars at the in the sky and the ceiling and looking at whatever's floating up there, the candles or the pumpkins or whatever else they have during whatever time of the year. Christmas morning. Christmas morning. Ron is 
already up. Like he's the one that's calling out to Harry and he's super excited. Yeah, that that reminds me of my kids this morning and kids waking up before the sun was even up. <laughs> it was still freaking dark outside and my daughters were both up. <laughs> Only the girls? Mm-hmm. And they're all coming in here. Of course, Kira's already in here. But she's all up and sitting up in bed and Anna comes in and she's like, I want to go downstairs and eat. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, Harry's like, you know, they say happy Christmas to each other because they're still sticking to the whole British. I don't know if they, I don't know if um they're just everybody British. in England says happy Christmas to each other, but uh, it was my understanding that they did, and that was reflected in the movie. And I was like, cool, they're sticking to the whole British thing of you know the happy Christmas. And then every other movie after that, they say Merry Christmas, and I was uh, disappointed. Oh, uh, Americanized, right? So they say happy Christmas to each other, and then Ron's like, you have presents, and Harry's like, ah, presents. I think he had more than one, didn't he? But uh, the most notable one, of course, is a present with an anonymous note saying that this belonged to your father. And it's the the invisibility cloak. This is probably one of the coolest things in the entire series, honestly. And he gets it early on. Yeah, it's really cool because uh, for, for a few reasons, because he gets it early on. And so he's able to utilize that thing time and time again throughout the entire series. But something that's mentioned at some point, I can't remember if it's just in the book or if it gets mentioned in the in the in the movie also. But something that's really cool about that thing is that it provides full invisibility, mm-hmm. which is apparently hard to achieve. So other, you know, mm-hmm. cheaper invisibility invisibility cloaks that you can get out in the market, they don't achieve full invisibility invisibility. Oh, like you can see the outline or something? Yeah, so you later find out why that cloak provides full invisibility and it's a big reason. But for now, it's just like, oh, you know, this one's really good. This one's really well made. It's pretty cool. Yeah, because they're like, whoever wrote the note and gave it to them, they're like, it belonged to your father. And all it says is use it well. It's kind of masked as just like a a throwaway, just like a way to end the note. I can't remember. Do they reveal in this movie who gave him the cloak? No. Okay. So then I won't mention that. The mischief I would have gotten into, mostly just sneaking (laughs) out, sneaking around, trying to scare my family scare my friends yeah i definitely would i would i definitely would have made more use of it when i was a little bit older i think but one there was this one time one very probably stupid time that i was at a boyfriend's house and i fell asleep at said boyfriend's house and when i woke up it was freaking 3 a.m because it was three in the morning you know the boyfriend was also like well I can't drive you home because they're going to hear, like everyone's going to hear the car turn on, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think I was, I don't, I'm not sure his mom knew I was there either. I ended up having to walk home at three in the morning through a ghetto neighborhood. And I was like, I am going to get stolen and raped and you know, all this craziness or worse expelled. <laughs> so he, so the boyfriend actually put me in, like some baggy pants of his and a baggy sweatshirt of his and i kept the hood up and just tried to like walk like a dude or whatever and i did safely make it home at three in the morning through the ghetto neighborhoods how far did you have to walk several miles i would say anyway an invisibility invisibility cloak would have been so useful that night right exactly i would have been like oh okay i'll i'll just walk bye (laughs) yeah so this kind of came at the right time because they had been talking about going into the restricted, sneaking into the restricted section to try and find if there are any books in there about Nicholas Flamel. 
And of course, the invisibility invisibility cloak arrives. And so they can now use that to sneak into the restricted section. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what Harry does. Uh, so he sneaks, you know, keeps sneaking and, you know, catches snake, Snape and Coral. Snape kind of senses something too. And at some point he's like, something there and he like reaches out and almost grabs his face (laughs) that was pretty intense because i remember as a kid i was just like oh shit this is it (laughs) but you know he just like grabs air and that's that's pretty much it so yeah he he just runs into a a random classroom and he finds in that classroom the mirror of Irised, which is desire backwards if you didn't catch that oh is that what it was yeah Yeah. I, i actually don't remember hearing the name of it okay i think they mention it at some point or i think a dumbledore mentions it later but he finds a mirror and of course it shows you your deepest 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 desire and so he looks into the mirror and sees his parents that makes sense you know harry just wants his whole family together so he sees his parents and you know they're happy to see him and this and that finally dumbledore you know kind of meets him in there and explains what's going on with the mirror he that's when he calls it in the movie that's when he calls it the mirror of ear said and you know tells him what what's up with the mirror that it shows what it shows him and tells him people have gone crazy because of that mirror and he doesn't want obviously doesn't want harry going down that path so they're moving the mirror so they can't find it anymore so why the fuck do you even have this at the school for the for the reason that you see it later <laughs> later on hermione finally finds information on nicholas Fimmel. They deduce that Hagrid had retrieved the Sorcerer's Stone from Gringotts before the vault was broken into and was brought here to Hogwarts because he, he did mention to Harry that the only other place that's more secure than Gringotts is Hogwarts. Yes. And then that's when he put that thing in his pocket and he's like, let's not mention this to anyone, Harry. Yeah. And they deduce that Voldemort is back. He who shall not be named is back and is in pursuit of the stone. And that Snape is trying to help him, which is kind of what it looks like, right? Yeah, in cahoots with them somehow. And where does, is it after that, that that they go on detention in the forest? I can't remember now. But um, at some point they go on detention in the forest. And uh, Harry ends up seeing, well, they end up finding unicorn blood. And the, the whole point of going out there is trying to find the, the injured unicorn. And Harry ends up seeing some sort of creature drinking the blood from the unicorn and you find out that unicorn blood keeps you alive at a price he said that you know unicorns are so pure and so innocent that once you drink the blood of a unicorn you know it'll keep you alive but you'll only you'll only ever be living a half-life but they do i mean they do end up talking to haggard a couple more times and find out exactly how much information about fluffy he gave to the person who gave him the dragon egg one very important piece of information is that he revealed how to get past Fluffy, which is to play him some music and put him to sleep. Yep. And the trio oh, are they're like, like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. We need to go right now. And sure enough, when they get to Fluffy, there is a self-playing harp and he is fast asleep. They open the hatch and it's just an abyss and they're like, well, yeah. who wants to go first? And while they're deciding that, Fluffy wakes back up. Yeah, they realize that it's quiet. The harp has stopped and Fluffy is awake. And he's over them, you know, dripping drool onto them and stuff. So so the so they end up landing into this 
this this devil snare which is a vine and if you move it constricts around you and the more you move the more it constricts something that they changed for the movie and i don't know why they did it is that it doesn't like fire and so they end up casting fire to get it to to get it off of them but in the movie oh you have to relax well they also mentioned that it doesn't like light so that's when she does like this like yeah luminous or whatever and it like it lets ron go because ron can't relax he's freaking the fuck out yeah so i think well according to because i wanted to check i wanted to check the google um to see how how it differed in the book because i couldn't quite remember because i remember there being fire involved and i can't remember if they just went straight to fire or if they tried to relax first and then end up having to use fire so yeah that's how that that's how they do it in the movie you know hermione's like relax and harry and Mm -hmm. hermione are able to fall through it once they relax but ron can't relax there's no relaxing while you're getting choked out so in the book once you get past the devil snare you end up they end up going through a series of challenges and they have several challenges that different professors have contributed to you know ironically these are three scenarios that favor each of the three main characters strengths exactly so they have the one with the keys right Mm -hmm. and there's one key that the, the keys ha- the keys are flying and there there's one key that they have to get and so of course this is harry because he he's good at flying and he can catch a snitch so he could find the one key and catch that key and get through that door so they get through that and then the next one is a giant chessboard and they have to play real live wizard's chess which it shows earlier in the film that you know the little chess pieces are actually you know well not actually alive but they move you know much like many things in the magical world do and so once you know you stick a piece on another piece they'll hack each other apart and it also mentions that ron is very good at wizard's chess yes so ron is good at chess so this is you know a life-size board and you have to be the pieces which means that if they get you you know if the other side gets you then you're getting your ass knocked out in real life Hmm. So well, they end up do end up getting to a point where they're about to win, but Ron has to sacrifice his piece to make way for Harry's piece to, you know, take their queen and win. Mm-hmm. And so Ron gets knocked out. And in the movie, Hermione's like, "I'll stay with Ron. You go ahead." And then the last one is, that's it, right? Yeah. So like that. So then he ends up in the room, and who does he find there? Not Snape. Not, Not Voldemort, Voldemort, but Professor Frickin' Quirrell. Who would have thought the Defense Against the Dark Arts instructor? Who would have thought this stuttering dude in a turban for some reason, and a stinky turban at that. <laughs> Apparently it always stunk in the book, which grossed me out. I imagine it smelled like fish. Ugh. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, Quirrell, all of a sudden like his voice is steady, and he's all menacing, and he's like... Who would ever more you know, suspect me? Yeah, a lot more confident. And it's been me all along. Who would ever suspect me? And that he's been acting like a pansy this entire time. And he also explains that he was working with Voldemort and Snape had figured it out. Snape was trying to protect Harry the whole time. Yeah, exactly. And when he, you know, when when Snape was sabotaging the broom, it turns out that he was trying to unsabotage the broom while Quirrell was sabotaging the broom. And when Hermione set fire to <laughs> Snape's robes and knocked him over, Snape knocked over Quirrell. It broke both of their concentration. Yeah, so they both dropped Harry, basically. Yeah. 
Is it is it then that he's like, you know, put the boy in front of the mirror or whatever? The boy. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's probably just like, get this stinky thing off me. <laughs> so he Harry, he ends up throwing Harry in front of the mirror. Wait, did we talk about the reveal? Because we got to talk about the does actual the re- Does the reveal, reveal happen after that? When he says he's talking to Voldemort, then that's when he he's just like, I want to see him, you know? And so he takes off the turban. And on the back of Quirrell's stupid head, <laughs> it's freaking Voldemort's head. face. <laughs> which i always thought was ridiculous but i guess he can only live in you know he was pretty much disintegrated after he tried to kill harry and he's been kind of coming back piece by piece since right but this is some pretty pretty corny looking cgi though it is it's really bad i mean this was what 2003 or whatever it was what was it 2000 yeah and it was oh man it was so bad i i kind of wish oh 2001 it would have been nice to see it made you know nowadays because i bet it would looked really good right but anyway, he ends up throwing Harry in front of the mirror. Like I said, Harry only sees himself. But then in the reflection, Harry kind of goes, shh, and puts his hand in his pocket and pulls it out. And it's the stone. And then he puts his hand back in his pocket. And real life Harry suddenly feels a weight in his pocket and the stone is there. You later find out, I can't remember if Dumbledore mentions it in the movie, but he basically he basically tells Harry that this is a capability that the mirror has and that only somebody with a pure heart that would not have used the stone would have been able to get the stone out of the mirror, which is why Quirrell couldn't. Yeah. I think he did mention that. So, you know, he has the stone in his pocket, but of course he's not saying anything to him. And Quirrell looks like you got this handled. I'll just uh, be leaving now. And he's just like, no, stop right? the boy. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so Quirrell tries to stop him. And then when he touches him, because Voldemort's in the back of his head, you find out kind of that Harry has a protection on him that was put on him when his mom literally died for him. And so Voldemort can't, yeah, Voldemort can't bear to touch him and his hands start burning. And since Voldemort is Quirrell now, it happens so Quirrell starts burning. So he ends up burning away, which then whatever happens to Voldemort? I don't know. Well, he flies away as a little ghost. I guess. The other the thing the other thing that happens is that Harry's scar basically explodes. Oh what? I don't know about that. Not explodes, but like, you know, in pain. Right, which is right, what happens okay. in the book. So like his scar is in so much pain, like he can't see, he can't and he ends up passing out from it, which is, you know, he does end up passing out in the movie. And he wakes up in the infirmary and you know Dumbledore is there and he's like, You done good boy. It seemed like Dumbledore was aware that some shit was gonna go down and he he still let the students take care of it. Dumbledore should have been right? like hiding behind the mirror, like, What's up, bitches? Zap zap, you know? Yeah, Dumbledore lets the students take care of a lot of their things. This is his way of training Harry so that he'll have the fortitude to face him head on in the end of the books or whatever. But this yeah. is a it's an unorthodox way of training him for sure but also makes for fun books because you know if Dumbledore took over and did it every single time that something happened to Harry then that wouldn't be as exciting for a book right that's true I just (laughs) think that like they should make it so Dumbledore isn't aware that's happening so that the students have to deal with it themselves right you know Harry's actually he has kind of a little bit of a fan base you know he has like little gift baskets and stuff around him that's cute and I, I like the part when Dumbledore is like, you know, um, we kept like all these things secret, the Sorcerer's Stone and the the mirror and all that stuff. But naturally, the, the news spread across campus. So now everyone's a fan of, of the stuff that you, you just did. <laughs> naturally. And then you find out that Nicholas Flamel has decided to destroy the Sorcerer's Stone. 
And Harry's like, doesn't yeah. that mean he's going to die? Well, yes, yes, it does. But he has enough elixir of life to at least put his affairs in order, him and his wife. So good for exactly. them. Yeah, so final feast. Gryffindor has unfortunately, you know, done enough shit where they are dead last place as far as house points go. And guess who's a, right above Gryffindor? Probably Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff. <laughs> so it's like Slytherin, Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff, Gryffindor. That's funny. Yeah, they just don't even care. They're just too high. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> Slytherin's winning. But then, and I bet I bet Slytherin thought this was such bullshit. Uh, Dumbledore's like, I have a few last minute points to award. Mm-hmm. And he gives a crap ton of points to Harry, Ron, and Hermione, which makes them tied. Tie. And here's the best part is where he's like, you know, it takes a lot of courage to stand up to your enemies, but even more to stand up to your friends. And he gives 10 more points to Neville for trying to keep the trio from, from going back <laughs> out and costing them even more points, right. uh, which obviously doesn't work great for Neville, but uh, Dumbledore gives them 10 points for that. And that gives them the edge to win. And so then he snaps his fingers and all the, the banners in the whole great hall turn from Slytherin to Gryffindor. And then you hear a collective that's bullshit from Slytherin. Did you, how did you feel being a Slytherin? That was bullshit. <laughs> I have no idea how the rest of the school puts up with the egregious favoritism and bullshittery right? of Dumbledore when it comes to Gryffindor and Harry. But of course, you know, reading the book, you're on the side of Gryffindor and you're like, yeah, but if this was real life, bullshit. Dude, it's such bullshit favoritism going on. And like Dumbledore is also Gryffindor, huh? Probably. That's yeah. a good question. But I you, you can just tell like no one calls the headmaster out on this shit. No, the faculty. Yeah. When I rewatched the movie and I saw that as an adult, I'm just like shaking my head like, wow, what the fuck? Yeah, pretty much. Bullshit. Yeah. So needless to say, Gryffindor went from dead last to winning the house cup. But this was a touching end to the movie, though. You know, it's like Hagrid's kind of tearing up because he's he's kind of uh, built this bond with the kids, uh, the, mainly the trio. He also gives Harry a very nice gift, which is a photo album with pictures of Harry's parents. And I think there's even pictures of Harry with his parents when he was a baby. Mm, I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah. There's a. I think there's one of Harry uh, getting an old Christmas present, which is like a little toy room that, you know, only hovers like a foot above the ground and hits him zooming back and forth in the picture in it as a baby, hmm. you know, and things like that. So that's cute. Oh, dang. And the thing is like, you know, he's heading back to the Dursleys, unfortunately, but unfortunately. I think knowing the fact that he, he can now come back to Hogwarts each year uh, makes it not that bad. Like it doesn't seem like it's the end of the world. Yep. And so he's able to go back with some hope and, you know, he, I think at some point he he wonders if he can't just stay at the school during the summer. Yeah, but I know. You you later eventually find out that there are very good reasons for him to be at the Dursleys, and their being horrible is specifically part of that. But at least now he found a new home in Hogwarts, and yeah, that's how the movie ends. And it's very it's very hopeful. It's very nice. It's a good introduction into the series, mm-hmm. and a great nostalgia film and book to come back to again and again. That is a wrap on the first Harry Potter film. If you made it to the end of our podcast, then you just won yourself an endless supply of rotten egg flavored jelly beans. What the hell is wrong with you? 
not a, a lifetime ticket on the Hogwarts Express or any of the good flavored beans, but no, the rotten egg ones. Something wrong with you. <laughs> the rotten egg specifically. Any final thoughts or closing comments? I mean, I don't know if uh, if if other people would consider this a Christmas movie, and I wouldn't even say that it's a Christmas movie, but it's definitely one that I I like to come back to during the holiday times, and I'm sure other people would agree with me. So bear with me, guys. Humor me. No, definitely. I think it was a lot of fun. I think this one might be more Christmassy than a lot of the later ones, for sure. Because the yeah. later ones, you know, when they become adults, uh, they don't have as much time or energy to celebrate the holidays. That's for sure. They got more important things going on. While a lot of scenes were pretty cheesy watching it now as mm -hmm. an adult, there's no denying that Chris Columbus, he laid out a fucking fantastic foundation for the film franchise. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's a big feat to pull off. Yeah. And he was able to fit a lot of content from the books into the movies. And that was very nice for the fans, of course, because we got to see, you know, a lot of a lot of stuff that in the book come to life in a great way. So, you know, like uh, Diagon Alley and Quidditch and, you know, things Hogwarts like that. itself, Hogwarts itself, yeah. the classes, definitely the magic. Well, are you watching any film or TV lately? Well, lately, and I remember like at the very beginning, I, I was started talking about something and I was like, oh, I'm going to use this as my recommendation. And I can't remember if it was this or not, but I have seen now like a good four times the movie Elemental. Hmm. And so it's a story about, one. yeah, it's a story about a fire girl and a water dude coming together. And it ended up being super like lovers cute. or just being friends. We'll see. You'll see because you're you're totally going to follow my recommendation. And you're going to watch it. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, yesterday, I think last night I watched it for my fourth time. Dang. Really good, huh? Okay. Yeah. Would you say it's like the best recent Pixar movie? Because I feel like Pixar has been kind of hit or miss lately. Yeah. I, I think I, I think so. I really enjoyed this one. Affliction Autos is available wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop on the first Saturday of each month, 5 a.m. Pacific. If you enjoy our content, give us a like, a thumbs up, and don't forget to subscribe. As always, thank you for listening and joining Stephanie and I. This has been Affliction Autos Podcast, Episode 32, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. I'll see you all next time. Yay.